Hi, this is Blake Andrews, lead pastor at Victory World Outreach, Denton, Texas. This is our podcast, and we're so glad that you came to check it out today. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to do great things for God. Well, praise God. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. So good to be here today, and I mean that. It really is. And uh, it's a whole different part of the world for me. You got humidity. <laughs> it's uh, it's fine for a few days, <laughs> but uh, in Cortez, it's been so dry. We we're having a drought down there, and the lakes are low, and uh, so it's good to feel water, even if it's just in the air. Amen. Praise God. So it's so good to be here today. I really appreciate Pastor Blake and Carla and all of you have been so good and gracious to us. And there's a depth of relationship. You know, uh, I thank God for new relationships, but there's something as you walk with people over years, there's just a flow that comes. There's a continuity that comes and there's just an ease that comes. So that's what I, we have with this church and with your pastors. Amen. I want to share today, uh, before I share my message, I want to give a report. Um, a lot of you know that my, my granddaughter, her name is Peyton, she's, I think, just turned three, and uh, she, God did a mighty miracle, and I, I told the Lord, I will never stop talking about this miracle, and, and so they do updates on her, and she just had her weekly, or monthly, excuse me, yearly, her big bone scan. She was diagnosed in the womb uh, with a soft bone disease, and they said you could see all the broken bones when she was just in utero. And they said there's no hope. They suggested that she be aborted, and uh, we fought. And I reason, one of the reasons why I bring her up, she's all of our miracle. This church prayed. I'm telling you, when, when she came out perfect, there was a roar in many churches. There was a roar in Africa. There was a roar in uh, other churches. And she had so many problems. In, in she, you just look, during those months before she was born, you're just begging God for any sign that it was better. And every doctor's visit got worse and darker. So the day that she was born, there was 19 doctors and specialists and people in that room and they said, how far do you want us to go to even try to save her? They said her jaw would be horribly deformed and, and these bones would just, at the touch of many of these bones, would break. Well, that little girl was born perfect. Every bone that had been broken was healed. And uh, so she's amazing. I mean, I, I was in the room when she was born. Um, I think they thought, they don't normally that, so my wife was there, and, and Riley, my son-in-law, was there, and of course Anna was there, but they don't normally let the fourth person in, but they thought she was going to die, and it wouldn't matter to them, but she didn't die, and I heard that baby cry, and uh, I'm watching across the room, they got, you know, they, they pull her out, and they take her over there, and I'm watching them work, and she's, and I told Robin, I said, she looks normal to me. And uh, the doctor, Dr. Riley says, I think, she, I think you're right. She looks normal to me, too. So anyhow, we had just had last week had the year, uh, yearly update, and they do full body scans. They were very amazed at her. Um, and so they did this yearly body scan, 
And I want to show you just these. We're going to give God the glory. I mean, Jesus did this. They asked Dr. Riley, they says, what did you do? He said, absolutely nothing. He knows that God did it. He said, it is a bona fide, he's a, sp- a bone specialist in, in Denver. He said, it is a bona fide miracle. And uh, so this is, uh, this is just from last week. And you can see that when she was first born, there was a little bit of a curve still in her, her femurs. And, um, the, but they, and, and then all of the places where they had been broken were thickened, like her rib bones were thickened. Um, you could see, uh, I may try to get this for the future, but you can see in the early, um, of course it was so small, but you can just see these, like the arm bone, for instance, was like this just broken. And um, anyways, so you can see in these here, these femurs now are completely straight and healthy. He basically said she got a perfect skeleton. And, and that was just recent. And she's, she's so happy. She had to take some shots. They put her on these preventative. Uh, they were still worried. You know, people that don't know God, they're nervous even when the miracle happens. Is it real? Is a miracle going to wear out or go away? Well, it didn't wear out. It didn't go away. And they had just come up with this new, uh, she's missing, a, if you look on your blood work, alkaline phosphatase is what it is. And so they came up with some synthetic. So they gave her some shots for just a little while. She doesn't get them anymore. Initially, they said, oh, she's going to have to have them her whole life. And we said no. And uh, anyways, so she all Peyton said when she got, no more shots. No more shots. She was, she was happy. This is her today. You can see what, she's, um, what she looks like. She's happy, healthy, and uh, jumps on the trampoline with her brothers. And they may break, but she don't. Amen. Praise God. So give God the praise for that. She is a genuine miracle. It's as, it's as blatant as you can get. And... Uh, you can't argue with it. That doctors, uh, some doctors didn't want to hear that. Some doctors would rather have the baby die than admit they were wrong or that God is bigger than they are. But as other doctors, Dr. Riley said, he said, this is a miracle. And he says, I don't know if she'll be jumping on the trampoline with her brothers, but she does that too. Amen. So praise God. I want to share today uh, something that God put on my heart uh, a while back. I was reading um, a devotional by David Wilkerson, and uh, I don't know if you know who David Wilkerson is, but he was, uh, he's in, in heaven now, but he served God for many years. He wrote the, the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, and bold, godly preacher of the gospel. I have great respect for him, and if you want a really good devotional, I didn't even know he had a devotional until recently. There's one called God is Faithful. And it's a, it's a David Wilkerson devotional. And, and so I was reading that, and I have great respect for the man, and I grew up hearing his stuff. If you want to read a fantastic book, read The Cross and the Switchblade. It's better than the movie. It'll it challenge your prayer life. When you see the miracles that God did and, and the result of prayer. So anyways, I read in this, and, and I, because it's his words and because he thought so strongly about this, it gave me pause. And I want to read you something he said. He said, one thing that I dread above all others is that I would drift away from Christ. I shudder at the notion that I would become slothful, spiritually neglectful, caught up in prayerlessness, going for days without seeking God's word. In my travels around the world, I have witnessed a spiritual tsunami of sinful drifting. Entire denominations 
have been caught up in the waves of this tsunami, leaving in their wake the ruins of apathy in their churches. The Bible warns clearly that it is possible for devoted believers to drift from Christ. Now, that's a strong word, and that's coming from a man who was very strong. And he said, I fear this one thing that I dread above all others. How many know, does that make you have a little pause? Here's a godly man. He wasn't afraid of, of uh, he wasn't fearing drug addiction. He wasn't fearing, but he said, I do fear drifting away. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself become a castaway. The, the New Living Translation says that I fear that I would become a castaway. So, if two godly men, one from the past and one from the just recent past, David Wilkerson, the Apostle Paul, um, if they both said, I fear this. I mean, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't fear much, but he did fear this. He said, I have this, there's an underlying carefulness in me. I fear, I don't want to become a castaway. I don't want to drift away. So the word drift is a continuous, slow movement from one place to another. It's, it's not real obvious. It's one little thing. It's, it's something that seems innocuous at the moment, but it's part, it's like a little wave, a little current. And the next thing you know, you're in a place, and you think, how did I get there? You drifted. You drifted. And there's some here today, potentially, and you're drifting. And if you even look back from a year ago, you've drifted. Keep in mind, drifting is horribly dangerous. It's, it's, it will take you someplace you don't want to be. Hebrews 2.1 says, for this reason, excuse me, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. He said, we've got to pay attention that we don't drift away. You may be, have raised in a good home. You may have godly parents, a godly family, but you can drift away. He says, we've got to pay careful attention concerning this. The warning uh, is given many times in Scripture. In Colossians 1.21, it says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order. Now watch this. This is what God wants to do for all of us here today. To present you before Father God, him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. How many think that? How many want to be presented that way? When you stand before God, Jesus says they are holy, they are blameless, and they are beyond reproach. But we didn't finish the scripture. Verse 23 If indeed, there's a qualifier here. Just because you prayed a little prayer, just because you sincerely gave your heart to the Lord, doesn't mean that story's over. If indeed, you continue in the faith, and the New Living Translation says, don't drift away. So God will present you if you don't drift away. If you drift away, you're in trouble. You can miss heaven. You can miss eternity with the Lord. He said, firmly, if you don't drift away, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. I fear that many today, even in churches, have been moved away from the hope of the gospel. 
Doesn't matter what you claim. They've drifted. They've drifted. They've drifted. And people say, well, at what point have you drifted too far? That's the scary thing. We don't know where that line is. I assure you there's a line. But, see, we want everything. And, and that's, that's why do we don't play with that. Because at what, at what point do we get too far where we can't come back? Years ago, there was a man that my dad had led to the Lord. And the guy backslid and just spent basically his whole lifetime away from the Lord and doing his own thing and not serving God. And, and he got old and he was dying. He was on his deathbed. And my dad went by to see him. His name was George. And he said, David, he said, he said I can't seem to get back. He said, I, I don't know what it is. And, and, and I don't know where he ultimately ended up. But I'm, that's a scary thing. It's not that God doesn't forgive and he won't help you. But you reach a place when you drift that you can no longer get back. You, you think, I'm, I'm just out here floating. And all of a sudden, the undertow has you and it's over. And you're not going to be able to do it. You know, that's the danger of an undertow. Is all of a sudden, you can't, no matter how hard you swim, you can't seem to get back. So I, I say, you say, you're scaring me. That's exactly what I want to do. Amen? Because Paul said, I fear it. And, you know, it's like some things we think, well, I don't need to fear. Yeah, we need to fear certain things. So don't be moved away, he says, from the hope of the gospel. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose houses we are if we hold fast. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Hebrews 2.3 says, how will we escape if we ignore or neglect so great a salvation? Again, there's this warning in Scripture, don't drift. You can drift, and it will be bad news. One of the guys that did this in the Bible was Demas. Demas was a, a great disciple. I believe if your name's recorded in the Bible, it's a pretty big thing, isn't it? And Demas is listed as a disciple, one of Paul's disciples. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.9, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loved the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. What happened to Demas? I don't know. Something got into him. The world lured him. And by the way, none of us are exempt from that. Fun and good times. Uh, you know, baseball and apple pie. Whatever it is, begins to lure people. And so Demas, I don't know what it was specifically, but somehow Demas drifted. He drifted, and, and, and the world got a hold of him. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and the pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away. Again, when you follow the world, you fade away, and the world is fading away, right? He says, along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Again, we don't want to be like Demas. We want to be like, like the Apostle Paul and like David Wilkerson that say, I fear this, and I'm going to be very careful that I don't end up fading away. So if we're not going to fade away or float away, when I think about this, drifting, the word drift, to me, makes me think of water and boats and that kind of thing, drifting. And um, when a boat is in the water to keep it from drifting, what do you do? You have to anchor it. 
It has to be hooked. So you've either got to put a big chunk of steel that drops down to the bottom of the ocean and holds that in place and, and, and snags onto something, or you've got to tie that to a dock. And you know what? We are no different. The only way we will not drift is if we have the right anchors in our life. And, and so you're saying, well, do, do you have an answer? I have an answer. The answer is anchors. The answer is having some anchors that hold you <coughs> because otherwise we will drift. I learned a lot. I, it's not in me. I, I don't have the, I, I couldn't save me in the first place. And the truth is I can't keep me saved. God has to anchor me and hold me in place. And so here's some, some anchors today that we need in our life so that we don't float away, that we don't end up at the end of our lives. A sad story. Hebrews 12, or excuse 2, verse 1 says, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. So the first anchor that you need and that I need is the anchor of the Word of God. Okay, when he says heard, we hear, we might read the word, but we hear it in our spirits, right? So, and we hear the preaching of the word as well. So he says, we, we, what will keep you from drifting away, he says, is the word of God. It's so powerful. I'm going to tell you that people that are steadfastly reading their Bibles are going to have a hard time drifting. You know why? Because you get out so far and the word kind of yanks you back. It says, that, that ain't right. That, that ain't, you know what, that, a warning comes through. How many ever had the Word of God speak to you? I read a, a book recently. It's a tremendous book. It's a novel, but it's called Wrapped in Rain. It's by a guy named Charles Martin. He's a, a guy who's written some, some uh, spiritual, one of the best novelists, honestly, I've ever heard in my, my life. But in this book, Wrapped in Rain, uh, he was an abused boy. His dad was terribly mean, alcoholic, and he and his brother were from different mothers, and the dad just brought them, had lots of money, and left them. And this old black woman raises these two white boys, and she's so good to them. And, and, and she would, uh, uh, her, they, they, her name was Ella Rain. And so the, the book, so she was godly, and she would speak to them, and she would quote scriptures to them. And no matter, even later on when they weren't serving God and they got away, and even after she was dead, every place they went, Ella was talking to them. Well, the Bible says this. Well, and she quoted scriptures. That's why it's called wrapped in rain. She, she, what she said, but you know that the word of God will, will anchor you, and it will hold you. Teach it to your kids. You know, my, my nanny, uh, she, she taught us. One of the first things she made us do was learn Psalms 1. And she, she helped us. You know why? Because the Word anchors you. And, and the, world, the world says this. And the president says that. And uh, the, the governor says this. But the Word supersedes all of them. Amen? And it anchors you. It's, it's, he says uh, in Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and it's active. Friend, this is not dead. It is not dry. It is not empty. It is living and it is active in your life. It's an active defense against drifting away. It's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's piercing as, for, as far as the division of soul and spirit. That's important. 
Because you know how we run our lives prior to getting saved? Your spirit's dead, right? We are dead in our trespasses and sin. What part of you is dead? Your spirit is dead. But your soul, which is made up of your mind or your intellect, your will, and your emotions, that's what controls your life. Most of the world is being controlled by their intellect, their will, and their emotions. But Christians, when you get saved, God breathes and he makes your spirit alive again for the first time since Adam. And you're alive. And you know who God communicates with? Spirit to spirit. Deep calls unto deep. You can even receive in your spirit while you're sleeping. God can deal with you. God can help you. God, I've gone to bed discouraged and woke up encouraged because God put something in my spirit in the middle of the night. Okay, now, so he says here that some, so, so he says that the word of God gets in us and it helps us to discern between what is the soul, the mind, will, and emotions, and what is the spirit of God. Because sometimes we get confused about that. And we're making a decision. Are you making a soulish decision? Are you making a decision by the spirit of God? How many are with me? The word of God brings clarity there. It helps you there. And it's living. It's active. It helps us to sort through life and say, you know what? That's my emotions. How many of just, you know, the world? If it feels good, do it. It's really gotten us a long ways down the road, hadn't it? Living by your emotions is not healthy. So the word is an anchor. Luke eleven twenty eight. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Hebrews 3, 7 says, So the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The word comes. So here's where I leave this first point here is you need a good Bible. And, you know, we hear today, well, it's all grace. You don't need to do anything. Yes, you do. If you don't read your Bible, you will backslide. You will drift. And you need to be absolutely committed and I, we're gonna, I'll just use the term, you need to be religious about it. You need to, what, what I mean by religious is it's, it, it's every day, every day. How many are religious about eating? Oh, yes, you are. You Texans are all religious about eating, just like us Coloradoans, right? And you, you'll say, well, I, I'm going to see if I feel like eating this week. I may, may not. Oh, no, you'll have that. I'm going to go eat at Babe's this afternoon. Every time we come down, we, we always go there with Pastor Blake. But you know what? You need, you need a good Bible, and you need to read it every day. Every day. You say, well, will I go to hell if I don't? Not immediately. Come <laughs> here with me. But you will start dying. It's an anchor. And you need a good Bible. And you need to find a way, and every day, and when you, when you hide the Word of God in you, you are anchored. You are centered. The, the, this idea comes, no, 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 I've been reading my Bible. That don't fit right. That don't set right. And you need a good Bible. Get yourself a good quality Bible. Get yourself a, a leather-bound Bible and, and mark in it and write it. And I'm going to give you a great Bible reading. See, sometimes it's, um, I have new converts that will get saved, and they say, yeah. Uh, they just automatically start in Genesis. And that's okay till you get to Exodus and Deuteronomy. And you get them to the Old Testament law. And they're like, do I have to do this the rest of my life? Let me just, can I give you a simple plan that will help you? One of the problems we have with reading our Bibles is we, 
we get bogged down or we, 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 uh, it's, but we need like a balanced meal. You know, you don't just eat steak every minute, every meal, right? And you don't just eat cookies and cream every meal, but, but that balance is good. Little salad's good. A few green beans are good. Mashed potatoes are good. So here, here's, here's a simple plan. I, I use this. I've, I give it to my family. I've given it to my church and it works. Um, in my Bible, I have a little piece of paper here, and you can see all these. These are chapters. And I always read every day some Old Testament, some New Testament, and Psalms. And so, so the trouble is when you've got a Bible plan that's real intensive, you get behind, and now what happens? You're condemned, you're feeling bad, and you're speed reading to catch up, right? The idea is not that we uh, need to, to uh, have some contest here on how many chapters we read, right? But the idea is to soak it in, to take it in, to let it settle into your heart. So you just have, I have three lines on here. And so like uh, this afternoon, I've got to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. That's the New Testament. Then on on Psalms, I read Psalms every day. Psalms, I'm going to read chapter 106 this afternoon. I read 105 yesterday. And then Jeremiah, I'm reading chapter, I'm going to read chapter 22. Okay, now, if you, if something happens and you don't get through all of that in a day, it's not like you're behind. You just pick up and keep going. And it will bless you. And you just keep this in your Bible. And you just, you, you mark them off. You just, as you write the chapters down and you just put a little check by it, write the next. And, and you know what? You'll look back and say, wow, I'm reading my Bible. Look at this. Look at all those colors and, and marks and checks. How I many? It feels good to do what's right. feels good to do what God wants you to do. And you know what? The best part is there will be a flow and an anchoring and a solidness about you. I talked to a guy the other day, a good guy in my church, and, and he came up and he said, um, he said, how do I memorize the Bible? He said, you got any things that will help me to memorize it better? And uh, I've tried, I've bought some of those memorization programs and all of that different stuff. But I found the best thing is keep reading it, and it just gets in you. He says, well, I can't remember the, the chapter and verse always. I said, neither can I, but I still know what the Scripture says. How many like that? All of a sudden, a Scripture just flows into your mind. It flows into your You know why? Because you've hidden it away in your heart. And it anchors you, and it's wonderful, it's refreshing. Get you a good devotional and, and read that Bible every day. Be absolutely unyielding in that for your whole life. It's, it's very, very powerful. Second point, if you're not going to drift away, you've got to always look for what the bigger plan is. <coughs> we can't, have you ever heard of the, the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? It means you're, you're, all you see is what's right around you. But you've got to see the bigger plans. You know, with, with all the stuff now they do with drones, it's pretty interesting. How we, we get to see so many things in a bigger scale now. You know, it doesn't matter. You can, you can do a wedding, and they'll do drone shots down of what it all looked like and, and things that we never. But I'm telling you, in, in life, it's really important that we always remember there's a bigger plan. I always ask myself two questions. One What's the devil trying to do here? Because he's messing with the big plan. And number two, what's God trying to do here? Let me give you an example of somebody that saw the bigger plan. Joseph was uh, just a young boy. God had blessed him, given him uh, a visionary mind and spirit, and his brothers hated him. 17 years old, they sell him into slavery. 
And uh, I, I think about that in real time as he's, you know, he's walked away strapped with his arms tied to a camel probably. And he's looking back and he, the brothers that are supposed to defend and love him have, are putting the money in their pockets. And he goes on, and he ends up in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife puts some moves on him and, and then accuses him of rape. And it's, it's a terrible, it's a de- demoralizing story. He's a godly young man. She tried to, you know, he, the reason she accused him is she got so uh, aggressive with him, she literally ripped his clothes off of him, and he ran away without him. And somebody said he should have taken it with him. But anyhow, uh, he had a hard time of, with all of that. And then he gets finally, he ends up in prison. He ends up ultimately, though, being in charge. But I want you to see, you say, how did Joseph not drift away? You know, it would have been very easy to drift away in Egypt. Well, God hadn't been so good to me. My life hasn't gone so well. But he didn't drift. Let me show you one of the reasons why Joseph didn't drift. When his brothers finally come down there and he reveals everything to them and they're repentant about what they did, uh, uh, Joseph says to them in Genesis 45, 7, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. He saw the bigger picture. He didn't hold bitterness because he saw the bigger picture. How many, how many get that? He saw that, the, you know what, if you see the bigger picture, the hardships you're going through right now will be easier for you to deal with. They're not forever. See the bigger picture. You know why some people drown in hardships? Because they think it's the end. It's going to be this way forever. You might be going through something in your marriage. Hold on. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It won't be this way. I can tell you right now, I know people that have went through years of a struggling marriage, and God moved in that situation, and he brought something different in their life, and today there's great blessing in their lives. But there was a time when they could have drowned in the smaller picture. See the bigger picture. In all of his hardship, Joseph had a bigger picture. He said, God, you're doing something bigger. You didn't just bring me down here to die in old Egypt. He, he brought him down there to be the rescuer of the entire nation of Israel. I mean, with me. The bigger picture. His success. You know what? When you succeed, consider the bigger picture. God puts a bunch of money in your hand. Consider the bigger picture. He didn't just do that so you can drive a Ferrari. I mean, understand that. If God blesses you, um, uh, I'll tell you what, read, read the book. Of, um, Crowell is his last name, and he's the one that started the oatmeal, uh, uh, Quaker Oats Company. Tremendous. God poured millions and millions, and he left it in such a way that today that, that, that money from that company Every time you buy Quaker Oats, part of that money is still going to preach the gospel and do things. Now, isn't that amazing? He's been dead now for a lot of years. But what happened is he saw the bigger picture with his money. He said, I want, I want my money to keep on preaching and doing what's right. You know, some people get a lot of money, and they, they don't see the bigger picture, and they squander it. Look at all the people that win the lottery. Most of them, it destroys them. But see, Joseph saw the bigger picture. Do you see the bigger picture? When you're raising your family, if you want to stay sinner, look at the bigger picture. Thank God. I love it when you teach your, 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 your kid how to catch a fish. I think it's great to teach them good work ethic. 
and, and discipline and all those different things. And, and uh, we teach them we want to have fun and we want to take them to Disneyland. But let me tell you what's bigger. Do you teach your kids to seek first the kingdom of God? That's the bigger picture. You know what? My dad never took me to uh, uh, ball games. He never took me fishing. He, maybe he, you know, he didn't do a lot of those things that everybody tells you have. We never went to Disneyland, or at least my dad didn't take us. And so, but you know what my dad did? He taught me to seek first the kingdom of God, and that's taking care of everything else. I mean, with me. I love, I, I have grandkids, and we love them, and we go camping, and we ride horses, and we do all kinds of things. But you know what we do first? We seek the kingdom of God together as a family. The bigger picture, the bigger picture with those kids. They're going to grow up like that, just like that. You know what? My, my, uh, my kids are grown. My granddaughter's getting ready to get her driver's license, the oldest one. And uh, it just, it's yesterday, it just seemed like, boom, they were little. I'm looking at these babies all in this place. In a, in a moment, you'll be marrying off the grandkids and the great-grandkids. So look at the bigger picture. Somebody said, you may be teaching your kids a lot of things, but are you teaching them to seek first the kingdom of God? Third thing is this. If you want to stay and, and not drift, stay involved in church. I don't mean just show up like a wallflower. I'm saying stay involved. Our lives were always, the whole culture of the church became our lives. We, we were involved. And, and, and let me just tell you, a lot of people give church, well, you don't, have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Yes, you do. Maybe not to start, but if you're going to stay hooked up, you need to be in church. And it's not because we need numbers. It's not because, it's because the Bible says that there is an arena, there is something that happens in church that happens no place else. We, we use the term arena, okay? Let me just give you this scripture first of all. Hebrews 10.25, and let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we may stir up stimulate and incite to love and helpful deeds and, and noble activities. Verse 25, not forsaking or neglecting. You don't quit and you don't neglect it. Two words, right? Don't forsake it, don't turn away, and don't neglect the assembling together as believers, as is the habit of some people, but admonishing, warning, urging, and encouraging one another, and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. I just thought of a fantastic, I believe the Holy Ghost gave me this this morning. I preached this sermon last week in Cortez, but I didn't use this because it just came this morning. So we had, um, I have a, a horse, her name is Shameless. Good name for a horse, amen. And uh, Shameless is a, is a foxtrotter mare, and she's supposed to have a colt next week. And so when I planned this revival, I kind of worked around those days because I wanted to be back in Cortez when Shameless got ready to fall. Well, this morning, I get this phone call from my granddaughter from Miley, and she's, she's like, Papa, Papa. I thought somebody died. She said, Shameless had her cold, and I was the first one to see it. <laughs> and so she has a pretty black and white paint colt, and I'm thinking about that. And so now I'm thinking, well, I, I got to start training that horse and that colt and put a halter on and deal with all these different things. And, and uh, what came to my mind, because I was really thinking about this sermon, is we, we say, see, church is an arena 
where God can touch you and work with you. And there's, there's this, in, in, later, in recent years, as, as horse trainers have learned something, and they work with what's called a round pin. And a round pin is just that. It's round with no corners. You bring that horse in there, and what happens in the round pin is you deal with that horse in close quarters. And you could never do this out in the pasture. It's impossible. You have to get in the round pin. The church is God's round pin. And what you do in that round pin, I was working with a, a mare a few weeks ago, and, and uh, this mare doesn't want to get caught. And she throws her head up. She's a great horse, but she needs worked with in the round pin. And you know what? In that round pin, she goes, and I can stop her. And, I, and when she keeps running from me, I make her keep running from me. I pop her on the butt with a rope, and I keep her going, and I corner. And then the, the, whole, the whole point of a round pin and working with a horse that way is when you're, you get them to a place and they submit and you turn around, and you walk away, and as you walk away, that horse comes up kind of at your elbow, follows you, follows you, and they, they lick their lips, and you know you broke through to that horse. Now, church is God's round pin, and it will confront you. See, he will, he will put you on your knees at times. He will convict you about things. He will put you right next to Mrs. Abrasive in the church or Mr. Abrasive. And he's going to sand off all those corners on you and them. How many real is that? Churches have problems. whoop de doo So do families. We don't walk away from them, right? Churches have situations. But you know what? It's, it's the round pin. It's the arena. And uh, uh, people say, well, you know, why should you go to church if your heart's not right? The point is, if you're in church, you'll get your heart right. But if you're out there in the world and you never get in the round pin with the people of God and the sermons of God, the preaching of the Word and a pastor, then you know what? Then there's no hope for you. I cannot deal with those horses out there. But the church is God's arena. It's God's round pin. It, it, there's an atmosphere. I'm going to tell you, just the presence of God is phenomenal to work in somebody's heart. Many times it's not even the preaching at all. It's the presence of God that falls in that service and does what it needs to do. I grew up in church three times a week. My dad pastored. And so we, we, we lived in Cortez, drove about a half an hour to Dolores. And this old uh, blue Dodge station wagon, and it was dusty. All the roads were dirt. And the, the, the third seat in the station wagon was where my, me and my brother had to sit. My sister's got the middle one. And the third seat faced out the, the back way. So you're driving backwards all the time. And I always got nauseated in that third seat but because we were the boys and we were the younger brothers. We got kicked to the back seat. But the, the bottom line is, we went to church. In the middle of the winter, when the roads were snowing, we went to church. We were there. And I'm going to tell you today, I don't remember my dad's sermons, but I remember the presence of God. I remember the conviction. I remember God dealing with me. <coughs> I remember getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. I remember those, the, my dad, they, that church started because uh, the Baptists didn't have a preacher. So they asked my dad to fill in. And that's a bad mistake for a Baptist to have a Pentecostal fill in. And they all started talking in tongues, got filled with the Holy Ghost. And out of that, another church started. And so uh, I remember being in that church in the presence of God. Friend, it's not, it's not about big numbers. I don't even know what the numbers were on those. It was just a small, the whole town was maybe 500 people, 600 people. But the presence of God was there. It impacted me. 
and it was an arena where God helped me. Let me tell you, get your family, be in church. It will keep you, it's a part of what keeps you from drifting away. The third thing is this, or the fourth thing here, is uh, treat sin seriously. Sin is a very dangerous thing. And uh, we, the devil tries to downplay it. It's no big deal. You can just repent. No, sin will make you drift away. It'll take you farther than you ever thought you would go. It'll take you deeper than you ever thought possible. Okay? So take it seriously. I'm going to read you something. You just let it speak to you right out of God's Word. Hebrews 10.26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it was common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. Sin is serious. Take it serious. Don't blow it off. The government can say this. People can say that. They can come up every year. The, the, sins change. What people? They don't even use that word. But even right and wrong. I mean, this country, this this country has rejoiced at killing babies. I saw a clip last week. This woman's in there. She says, "Just kill them. Suck them out. Blow them up. I don't care what you. Just kill them, and I don't feel bad." I mean, that's that's very dark. Very, very dark. You know, when, when I grew up, we raised rabbits. And sometimes you'd get a, a bad mama rabbit and she'd eat some of her babies. That one didn't last. That's dark, even in rabbits. <laughs> but we're, we're a lot worse than that. But you know what? We have God's word. We know right from wrong. And so take sin very seriously in your life. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 6, 14, they dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Don't treat the wound like it's not serious because it will get an infection. Sin is, is the infection of the devil. How many understand that? And you say, well, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's no big deal. Playing with that snake, no, now, now it bit you. Now it's into you. I, I read a book recently that we're doing a study on on Wednesday nights called My Body, His Life. And, and this pastor, Paul Trulin, said he was talking about homosexuality, and he said, he said don't mess with it. He, he said many people, he's, in fact, he said most people will not come out of that. Now, I don't want to discourage anybody because I've seen people come out of it. I've seen people cleaned and changed and redeemed. But his point in that, he said, he said you don't know what you're doing and the devil does. Help me with me. See, certain sins, you don't know what you're doing, but the devil does. So we don't mess with it. Once again, I do believe anybody can be redeemed. I had a brother that gave his heart back to the Lord that was homosexual. 
and he got his heart right with God. I believe he's with the Lord today. But what I, what I want to say is sin is serious. Take it serious. Your whole life, that's called the fear of God in the family, right? The last thing is this. If you're going to not drift, you have to keep growing. Keep growing. You cannot stagnate. When you plateau and you stay in that spot, you're in trouble. You know, David drifted away from the Lord. And the Bible says, excuse me, at the time that kings went to battle, David stayed home. You know what? David wasn't growing anymore. He wasn't overcoming. He wasn't having any new battle. It was all old hat to him. You know, when, when, the, when the gospel's just old hat to you, church is old hat, Bible's old hat, there's a problem. That should scare you a little bit. That should unsettle you. And we say, oh, God, please make me alive again. I mean, you know, God, God, God knows how to breathe new life and to heal us and to help us. So we have to keep growing. David didn't keep growing, and the reason he fell into the whole sin thing with Bathsheba is because he stopped growing before that. When you stop growing, you drift. So you can never, you can grow and grow. I, you know what? My, I, I come from good stock. My, my grandmother, we called her Nanny. Um, she was a godly woman. She immigrated from Germany prior to World War II. She was, came through Ellis Island, that whole area, and uh, loved God and served God. Her husband was killed. Uh, when my mom was 12, uh, a train came in and ran him over, and they picked him up in a basket. So she lost her husband. She never remarried, but she raised those kids. She said, you know what? I want my kids to serve the Lord. So she, she moved from New Jersey to Waxahachie, Texas, and she moved right next door to the Assemblies of God Bible School. She said, I'm pretty much guaranteed they're going to marry preachers if I do that. And they all three did. Okay? So, but what I want to tell you is my nanny never stopped growing. She loved God. She taught her grandkids to memorize the Bible. She prayed. She drove this old little Plymouth Valari. She was serving Meals on Wheels to people until she needed Meals on Wheels. <clears throat> she died at 98 years old. And she, she's just, just always close to God. I mean, I, I would see her with her hands up when, when she got real towards the end there and she couldn't get up and go around to do things. And, and I remember walking down the hallway one day and, and I'm walking by Nanny's room and I look in and then there's just those old, wrinkled hands just straight up worshiping God. She never stopped growing. She never stopped entering into the things of God. You know, if you keep growing, you're not going to drift away. Growth, you know, there's lots of things that happen. When, you, when you, you say, am I growing? Well, let me ask you a few things. Are you starting to feed yourself instead of making everybody else feed you? That's a sign you're growing. Amen. Are you starting to dig in for yourself? Are you dressing yourself and taking care of some things in your own life? That's a sign of growth. Are you, uh, uh, do you, have you stopped having fits yet? How many little kids have fits? Throw themselves down, get all mad. And you know Christians have fits sometimes too. And that's okay. We can put up with that in a new conference. Someplace you need to start growing out of your fits. You know what? I, I made a decision years ago as a pastor. And I, I saw in our fellowship there was different pastors, and, and they would just give Pastor Jones fits. And he just complaining about this, dealing with that, blowing up over here. And I told Robin, 
early on, years ago, I said, I want to be a problem-free child of Pastor Jones. I, I want to be one of those people that doesn't give him fits, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't whine and complain. Uh, uh, you know, how many know you ought, to, you ought to have that desire in your church? You shouldn't be the one that the pastor's having to straighten out all the time and correct. And, and, and yeah, I mean, we know we receive those things from time to time, but how many want to be a worry-free disciple for the pastor, for the Lord first, but for the pastor as well? So you stop having fits if you're growing. You focus in on the needs of others instead of just yourself. It's not just about what you've got going on. What's the kingdom of God got going on? What do I need to do? Uh, uh, you, you focus on, on bearing responsibilities. You begin to do chores and routine things. Can I tell you, not every day is fireworks in the kingdom of God. Some days are doing exactly what you did for the last 500 days one more time. You know what I'm saying? How many of you mamas just did one or two loads of laundry? Again? And a sign of maturity is you just do do that. And, and you don't have a fit. You don't throw those things and throw in the washing machine. I'll wash you one more time. I mean, are you? No. If you do, you're immature, right? And some people come to church. I got to go to church one more time. I got to. No. <clears throat> you're missing it. Amen? Mature people, they just do it. They do what needs to get done. You know, I've done all kinds. I, I, <clears throat> I got in bands when I first got saved. <clears throat> and I like rock and roll. And so we had rock and roll, Christian rock and roll, and we did outreaches every place. And, and then uh, we had a different preacher come in and take over the pastor to that church. And, and so uh, uh, he got involved in the rock and roll, band and, he, and he asked me to do a different style of music. He asked me to do country, which fits really good in Cortez, but it's not my favorite kind of music, although I did learn. To, and you know what? I did country. I don't know if I got the twang right down right, but I did country. Get this. We even did a, uh, a 50s band, and we did, uh, like, Supreme songs. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, you know, we needed different outreach tools. I mean, you're looking at my white skin and say, oh, God, help us. Robin was in it. They had hats. They had all kinds of stuff. It was crazy. But the bottom line is I did what needed to be done. I played piano and played keyboards. And we had another pastor came in, and, and she played keyboards. She wanted to play the piano, and they put me on an organ. I don't like organs. You know, I'm talking about the big organs with, like, all these rows of keys and these pedals on the bottom. And I'm thinking... You know what I'm thinking. And I thought, I, but you know what? It was what was needed at that time. I said, I'm going to learn to play organ. There I am. Get that whole feet thing down. Playing those, those uh, bass keys on that. It was kind of cool once I learned it. But, but you know what? I, I didn't say, I'm quitting this church. They, they took my job. You know, no, I, I played, I've done all kinds of things. You know why? Because mature people do what needs to be done. And you don't come up, I'm not doing nursery. Well, somebody got to, amen? Somebody got to, you know what? If you don't think it's needed, just turn them all loose in here, one of our services. And we'll have more volunteers for that nursery. Mature people do it. Mature people, do, when, my, when we first got saved, my wife, uh, she came, they called it the nursery, the pit. <laughs> and she came out and... Uh, she told our pastor's wife, we're just newly saved, she said, 
I ain't doing, I can't, I am not doing that again. And uh, our pastor's wife, Michelle, she said, she said, it'll be okay. You'll get, and you know what? It's a good thing because my wife's done nursery her entire life. She's still helping at times in the nursery and running that. It's a great blessing. There's a special section in heaven for nursery workers. Amen? They, they serve free coffee, free donuts. They give you foot rubs and quiet time. Amen? See, people that are mature, they plan for what's to come, and they think ahead. My wife is great at this. I say, let's grab the kid. Let's go do this. Let's do. I don't think about what we're going to eat, where we're going to stop. But Robin, she got it planned. She's always thinking it because she's mature. I got on my trip, you know, she's got little bags of nuts and good things to eat on the airplane. She's got uh, uh, ibuprofen if I need that. She's got all of that stuff in there. You know why? Because she's mature, and she plans ahead better than me. Amen? 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grow in grace. Your ability to work with people is not just about you. How many are with me? And in your knowledge. Grow. Increase in grace and increase in knowledge and understanding. And you know what? You'll have great benefits. When kids grow up, they get their own driver's license, right? They get their own car. How many of you adults want to ask somebody every time you want to go do something? My mom's 85 now, and we took her driving privileges away because she had a stroke, and that's been one of the hardest things. She said, I hate having to have somebody take me every place. You know, when you grow up and you mature, you, you get to drive your own car. My grandson, Jonathan, the other day, he was all, we were riding some horses, and he had bad attitude. I could see it on his face a mile away. I, and I tried to talk to him. He's harumping around there. And I said to Kyle, I said, what's wrong with him? He said, he's mad because he don't have his own horse. He wanted to drive his own horse. You know, when you grow, there are benefits. There, the, you, spiritually, you get your own driver's license. There comes a liberty. How many like liberty? Liberty comes when you grow. And if you don't grow, you don't get it. So if you'll do these things, they will. growing people don't drift. They're coming right back. They're pressing in to certain things. Okay, so, so what are you going to do? You're going to read the Word of God, right? You're going to be steadfast in that. What was the second thing? I can't remember. you got to help me out here. Plan, okay, bigger, bigger picture, right? Bigger picture. What's the third thing? Okay, church. Keep it solid. What's the fourth thing? What? Take sin seriously. That's right. And the last thing is keep growing. I guarantee you, you do those five things, you're, you're, no, you're going to go no place. You're tethered to God. You're how many want to be tethered to God? You're not tethered just to this church. That's a part of You're tethered to God. And those anchors will hold you. And you'll be an old man, an old woman, and you'll be an example to your family. And people in church will respect you and love you and revere you because you haven't been one of these people that's just been here, there, and everywhere. Let's bow our heads for just a few moments today. Amen. God's good, and He's here. His presence is here. And uh, the first thing I want to say is you, you, before you even have to deal with the issue of drifting away, you have to get connected to God. You have to literally, what, what I, I talked about the horse, you have to join up with Jesus. 
You have to come to that place where you bow your knee and your will and you join up with him. Now, he does not force you. You cannot force that. But he, he went to the cross 2,000 years ago. He gave his only son. The blood of Jesus paid for every wrong sin that you've committed, everything that you've done. The blood of Jesus paid for that. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I receive that. I come to you in humbleness. I admit that I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner. If we, if we go into eternity without making this decision, we will end up in hell for all eternity. It's a very important decision. If you died right now, where would you go? If you stepped into eternity in the next five minutes, where would you go? Is there any question? I'm telling you, if there's any question... You need to remove that question today. God's dealing in your heart. You've, you don't know Jesus, but you'd like to get saved today. You'd like to give your heart to the Lord. You'd slip your hand up right now. I'm going to pray for you. God's going to touch you right now. You say, God's dealing with me. I want to get saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you're a backslider, and you've just gotten away, and you drifted a long time ago, and today you'd say, I'm, I'm really not right with God. And you say, I've gotten cold. God doesn't hate you. The Bible says he's married to the backslider. He wants more than anything to bring you home. How many would slip your hand up today and say, I've kind of gotten away, but I'm coming home today. And you'd slip your hands up right now. God's talking to you. He's speaking to you. You say, I'm ready to deal with some things. God's talking to me today. Let's stand in this place. Are you anchored? Have you... Have you seen a little drifting in, in your life? Take it serious. The Lord willing, you know, in a year we see each other again. I want to see everybody here closer, stronger. Do you need to get re-anchored in some areas? Do you need to get re-anchored in the Word of God, in your Bible? Some of you, it's been a month since you picked up that Bible. Time to get re-anchored in the Word of God. It's time to get re-anchored and consistent in church. I don't care if you're raised in church. You can drift even if your parents are God-loving, God-fearing people. You can drift. Amen? So today, best thing I know to do is come and say, Oh, God, help me. Help me in this area. I realize I've gotten off course. You ever gotten off course when you're driving? I've gotten off track. I listened to the devil's GPS. Took me way out here in the middle of no place. Tune yourself back to Jesus. His altars are open. You come. Pour your heart out to God and seek God this morning as we worship and we sing. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you want to hear more messages, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you like it, consider rating it and sharing it with your friends. For more content from VWO Denton, go to our website at vwotexas.com.